Okay, well, we're going to have some time where we continue in the scriptures. We're, we're in a series called Blessed. We're looking at the Beatitudes and very excited for uh, looking at the passage that we're going to look at today. And if you have a Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 5. We'll be looking at the first four verses. In our world today, in this week, I saw two images And these two images that I saw in our world this week, to me, set the context for what we're looking at right now in the scriptures. And those two images are, first, I saw the inauguration of the President of the United States of America and the transfer of power. And I have lived through all of the tension that led up to that moment. All of the, the pressure that's led up to that moment, the uh, even animosity and, and the fighting, and there's just been so much turmoil that has led up to the moment of Inauguration Day, where we have a new president of the United States of America. And that transfer of power, I'm, I'm not going to forget that experience for a long time to come. And uh, the second image that I saw this week, was fascinating also, was I saw a line outside of a county health building that had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of folks who were in their 70s and 80s and 90s. The line went out the building. It went all the way down the entire parking lot. It wrapped around the next building, and then it went all the way down the alley. And that line was for COVID-19 vaccination. And I'm not going to forget that because of all of the tension and the pressure and the turmoil that has happened because of COVID-19 and how it leads up to this moment where there's a vaccine, vaccinations available and people are starting to receive them. And those two images, to me, they provide a picture, uh, really a context for what we're looking at right now because this transfer of power and this healing, that's exactly what the crowd that Jesus is addressing is desiring. You see, in, in Matthew chapter five, verse one, it says this. It says, seeing the crowds, seeing the crowds. This crowd was there for those two reasons. You see, this crowd was full of people that was hoping when Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, when he began to preach that message, this crowd right here, they're hoping there's gonna be a transfer of power. And they're hoping that Jesus Christ is gonna be the king that sits on the throne right then, right there, at that moment. This crowd is also full of people that heard that people with seizures were getting healed and people who were blind were now able to see and people who were unable to walk were now able to walk and people who had crazy diseases like leprosy were being healed. This crowd was showing up and they had the full expectation that they were gonna be healed. That's what they came for. They wanna see a transfer of power to where God as king is reigning, and they want to experience a fullness in healing to where all of their sickness and all of their ailment, it is all taken care of right then. They want to see both of those things happen right now in this moment. And as I just observed what's happening in our world this week, 
I thought, wow, I'm not gonna forget those two images for a long time. The transfer of power and the desire for healing. And that's what makes up the crowds that Jesus is speaking to. He says, it says in Matthew chapter five that seeing the crowds, and when Jesus sees the crowd, he sees individuals. He sees men, he sees women, he sees boys, he sees girls, he sees grandpas, he sees grandmas. He sees people. And he understands the pain that these people were experiencing because these people were, they were seeking relief. This crowd was, they were seeking relief from the pains that they were experiencing. And Jesus was like a human magnet. And all of these people in pain were being drawn to him. It says, seeing the crowds, he went up onto the mountain and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. Jesus had just began at this moment to call disciples to follow him. He had just began teaching. He had just began healing. He had just began growing crowds. And at this point now, so many people are following him, are coming to him, that he goes up onto a mountain and he sits down and his disciples come to him. And it says he opened his mouth and he taught them. And when Jesus opens his mouth, it's, the, it's, it's God Almighty speaking to this crowd who's, who's seeking a transfer of power. They want Jesus to be king and, and is seeking full healing. They want all of their ailments to be taken care of. They want it now. And that's the crowd. And he opens his mouth and the word of God from God himself is now coming to them. And these are the things that he says. Verse three. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is, that's the first thing. All of these needs, all of these desires in the crowd, and the first thing he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I want you to imagine that you're one of the people who was standing in a COVID-19 vaccination line that is hundreds of people long, and that you were standing in that line for hours and hours, maybe you went multiple days, and when you got to the front of the line, and it was your turn to get the vaccination, that the person put the vaccination stuff away, and they looked at you, and they said, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You see, there was people who showed up in the crowd. They were expecting to be healed that day. That's what they, that's what they came for. They came to be healed. But the first thing that Jesus does is he doesn't heal everybody. He could have done that. He could have just healed everyone, but he didn't do that. The first thing he does is he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Then the second thing he says, which is what we're going to look at this weekend, he says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Jesus, we came to be healed. <laughs> we came for the vaccination. That, that, that's what we're here for. We're here to get the shot. We're here to get healed. We're here to be able to see. We're here to stop having seizures. We're here to be able to walk. We're here to, you know, be able to speak we're here to, to not have leprosy anymore. We're here to not have cancer anymore. That's why we came. That's why we showed up. And you're telling us, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. You're telling us, blessed are those who mourn, 
for they shall be comforted. I think it's really interesting that this is what Jesus chooses to do. You see, there's people who so badly desire transfer of power in a certain way to happen right now, but they don't have Jesus. And the transfer of power that's gonna happen in a political sense in our world is not what is gonna save them. Jesus Christ is what's gonna save them. And there are people in our world right now that they desire vaccination. They desire physical healing. But the vaccination, the physical healing is not what's gonna save them. It's not what's gonna give them eternal life. Jesus is what is going to give them eternal life. Jesus is what's going to save them. Jesus is the Savior. And it's amazing how transfer of power and physical healing can be such huge things to where we miss Jesus. And what Jesus does in this moment is he brings all the focus back onto himself. Because there's people who are desiring transfer of power, they're desiring healing, and he's saying, No, this is about me. This is about salvation. And blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. This message would have caught so many people by surprise in this moment because they're not getting what they came for. They're getting something very different. You know, life has seasons. Modesto doesn't have very many seasons, (laughs) but life, life has seasons. And these seasons have incredible contrasts. The scriptures speak to this. In Ecclesiastes chapter three, we're going to look at verse one and verse four. It says, for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to to dance. There's incredible variety. There's incredible texture to life. There's moments when it is appropriate to weep. And there's moments when it's appropriate to laugh. And there's moments when it's appropriate to mourn. And there's moments when it's appropriate to dance. Life has incredible seasons. In fact, life has seasons when you have life with Jesus. Life with Jesus has seasons. In fact, Jesus speaks to this Himself, He says in Matthew chapter 9, verses 14 through 15, it says, it says that the disciples of John, they came to him and they, and they had a question. Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? So they have a question about when you're supposed to abstain from food and how come some people, they're doing it and other people are fasting, but the people who are hanging out with Jesus, they're, they're not abstaining from food. They're not fasting. And Jesus replies to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. So in other words, when you're with Jesus, Jesus was there. It was time of celebration. They were with the Savior. They were in person with the bridegroom, the Savior, the Messiah, and it was a time of celebration. It wasn't a time of mourning. Jesus is saying, there's, there's coming a moment where I'm going to step away. Uh, the bridegroom's going to be taken away from them. And that'll be a time of mourning. 
There'll be a time of fasting at that moment. You know, uh, Jesus didn't just have celebration. Jesus understood the full human experience. He, he understood all of the human experience. In fact, there's a prophecy about him, and I want to share with you what it is. It says in Isaiah 53:3, it says that he was despised and he was rejected by men. He was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief. And as one whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Jesus understood the full human experience. He understood what it was to be despised, to be rejected. He understood what it was to be full of sorrow, to experience grief. He, he knew what it was like for people to not want to look at him, to hide their faces at him. He, he knew what it was like for people to not esteem him, to not speak highly of him, not to, to not value him. Jesus understood life's difficulties. So we can see that, that Jesus understood times of celebration, but he also understood times of mourning. In fact, there's two accounts of Jesus' mourning that I want us to look together at this weekend. And these two accounts of Jesus' mourning, I'm gonna frame them really kind of in two big categories. And I'm hoping that as we look at this, this is gonna be a great encouragement to you as you, you're able to relate with Jesus Christ in what he went through. So that as you're going through difficulty, as you go through times of mourning, maybe you can look back and you can see how Jesus dealt with this and how he walked through it. The first account, account number one, is physical death physical death. And this is where we see Jesus mourning over sin that's leading to physical death. And we're going to look here in the account uh, in John chapter 11. In John chapter 11, we have this incredible, uh, incredible account. And I'm going to start in, in verse one. I'm just going to just orally share a few verses before we get to the verse that's on the screen right now. So in, in John chapter 11, it says there was a certain man was ill. And this man's name was Lazarus of Bethany in the village of Mary and her sister Martha. So there's three people, and they're, they're siblings, Lazarus, Mary, Martha. They live in a town called Bethany. And, and Mary was the one who had anointed Jesus with ointment and, and poured it all over his feet and then took her hair and wiped his, used her hair like a towel and wiped his feet. This incredible expression of love had come from this sister named Mary. And Lazarus was ill. He was sick. And so these two sisters, Mary and Martha, they send to Jesus and they send to him this message, Lord, the one whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard that Lazarus was ill, Jesus makes this incredible statement. He says, the illness doesn't lead to death. It is for the glory of God so the Son of Man may be glorified through it. And then the very next sentence says this. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Jesus loved these three. Jesus had incredible love for them. He had spent a lot of time with them. They had a super close relationship. They were friends. They were doing life together. And Jesus loved them. And he hears that this brother, Lazarus, is sick. 
And he says, hey, it's not going to lead in death. It's going to be for the glory of God. But then in verse 11, Jesus says, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. I'm going to go awaken him. And the disciples think he's, he, they, that Jesus means he's actually sleeping. But he's not sleeping. He, he had died. In fact, in verse 17, it says, now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had been already been in the tomb for four days. So Lazarus ends up dying. Remember, this is someone that Jesus loved, spent a lot of time with. These two sisters, Jesus loved them, spent a lot of time with them. And now we find that Jesus shows up and Lazarus had already been dead for four days. And look at the response. It says that Martha, remember, Jesus loves her and she loves Jesus. They're very close. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus shows up onto the scene and the first thing that happens is Martha blames Jesus for the death of her brother. If you had been here, if you'd had only been here, my brother would not have died. How do you think that made Jesus feel? He loved Lazarus. They were super close. He loved Martha. They were super close. And to hear her say to him, Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus, if you'd have been here, my brother would be alive. You weren't here, my brother's dead. You know, it's your fault. (laughs) And look what Mary says. The next verse. It says, now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She says the exact same thing. Remember, Jesus loved Lazarus. Jesus loved Mary. And here it is. Mary, she's blaming Jesus that Lazarus died. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have. How do you think that made Jesus feel? Remember, Jesus loved this man who had died. And here he's getting blamed that he's dead because Jesus wasn't there and could have prevented it. Now, In verse 33, it says that when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews that had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? Where's the body? Where is Lazarus? Where's the tomb? And they said, Lord, come and see. And then it says that Jesus wept. You see, this is an incredible picture, this first account where we see Jesus mourning because of physical death, and it's it's really Jesus' mourning over sin that's leading to physical death. We see the humanity of Jesus. Jesus is human, and here he's had these two sisters blame him for not being there and that their brother's now dead. And Jesus loved this guy who had died, and he shows up to where he was buried. It says that he wept and he's crying and emotion is just coming out of him. In verse 36, so the Jews said, see, (laughs) see how he loved him? So they're all affirming how much Jesus loved this man. It says, but some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man 
from dying. Now the crowd blames Jesus. The crowd now looks at Jesus and blames him for not healing Lazarus and keeping Lazarus from dying. Remember, people are showing up in massive crowds to Jesus because he's the healer. But he doesn't heal everybody. And so in this moment, they're saying, why didn't Jesus heal this guy? Look look how much he loved him. Look how much Jesus loved him. And they blame Jesus. This is rough. This is a rough day. So in verse 38, then Jesus deeply moved again. He came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Take away the stone. Now, Martha, the sister of the dead man, Lazarus, said to him, Lord, Lord, by this time, it's been four days, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he's been dead for four days. In other words, Martha had blamed Jesus, if you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Mary blames Jesus, if you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. The crowd blames Jesus, he healed the blind. Why couldn't he have healed this guy? And then to make matters worse, now Martha is saying, Jesus, you're gonna make the situation even worse because you're gonna have this stone rolled away and there's gonna be an incredible stench and an incredible odor. Jesus, you're making it worse. These are rough things for any person to hear other people say to them. Jesus is getting blamed. Martha's telling him he's gonna make the situation worse. And I think what we have a picture here in this account is people who are hurting. Martha is hurting. Mary is hurting. The crowd is hurting. And there's a saying that hurt people hurt people. Hurt people hurt people. And these are some people who are hurting And Jesus knows that. You see, when all I can see is pain, I miss the power of God. When all I'm focusing on is pain, I miss the incredible display of the power of God. And so comfort for physical death, we see it in this account, is the glory of God. Comfort for physical death is the glory of God, which is why Jesus says what he says next in verse 40. He says, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. This is really incredible. You know, he's acknowledging right now that he had been praying and he had asked the Father for something And the father heard them. It reminds me of Matthew 6, 9 in Jesus' instruction to us. Pray then like this. Our father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. That we would put our eyes and our focus on the glory of God. He says in verse 42, I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. You know, this, this, he's saying, I know that you always hear me. You know, this incredible relationship, this shepherding closeness. It reminds me of Psalm 23. I enjoyed spending time in that today. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in one. I would encourage you to check out Psalm 23. 
Look at the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, beginning of verse 9. May it be an encouragement to you. When he said these things, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Come out. This is incredible. Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out. And his hands and his feet were bound with linen strips, these, these clothes that they had wrapped him in with the grave. And his face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Unbind him and let him go. And I think this is an incredible picture of how the glory of God works. The power of the glory of God. You see, the glory of God is the power of God displayed to us. And Jesus tells them, this is gonna happen for the glory of God. Jesus wants the power of God to be displayed. And so he says, Lazarus, come out. He calls him out of the grave. And that's exactly what Jesus does for us. He calls us out of the grave. He calls us out of a life of, of that's just death. And he says, unbind him and let him go. And, and that's what Jesus does for us. He releases us from the bondage of sin and death. Do you recognize that Jesus has called you out of the grave? Are you alive? Do you have life in Jesus Christ right now? Are you recognizing that Jesus has called for you to be released from bondage? Are you free? Are you experiencing freedom right now? It's an incredible moment that Jesus points. Remember, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And the comfort that comes for physical death is the glory of God. And Jesus puts on display the glory of God. That's account number one, physical death. Account number two is spiritual death. And this is really where we see Jesus mourning over sin leading to spiritual death. And this is in the same way that account number one was an opportunity for us to see the humanity of Jesus. He's a real person. Account number two, it's, it's an opportunity for us to see the divinity of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 26, we have an incredible account where Jesus is praying. It says that Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And this was with his disciples. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Jesus in this account, he's experiencing deep pain. And it's, it's beyond the, the, the pain that will be of the physical death on the cross that's coming. Because this is, this is happening right before he's heading to the cross. But he's recognizing the pain of the burden of sin that separates from the Father. And in this moment, he's sorrowful, he's troubled, he's mourning even you know, forward for what's about to take place because he understands that he's about to bear the weight of the sin of the world and sin separates from the Father. In verse 39, it says, and going a little farther, he fell on his face and he prayed saying, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. He's really surrendering to what the Father wants here. And he came to his disciples and he found them sleeping and he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? Could you not pray with me for one hour? Watch and pray that you would not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so Jesus is in a, a battle right here. He's in a battle of prayer right here between, you know, the spirit and the flesh, 
The cross is in front of him. He sees the weight of the sin of the world coming his direction and he's full of sorrow. He's asking his friends, would you strengthen with me? Would you pray with me? The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I think this is a great just a reminder to all of us that every day is a street fight with the flesh. We're in a street fight with the flesh every day. And you may get knocked down, but don't stay down in the gutter. Don't, don't, don't stay in that place. Get back up, stand up to fight again because God's calling you to something great. In verse 42, again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, my father, if, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, this, this, this cup of the cross of, of bearing the weight of the sin, if, if I cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. Again, he's surrendering to the Father. And again, he came and he found them sleeping for their eyes were heavy. And then in verse 44, so leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time and saying, saying the same things. Father, if there's another way, but your will. So we see Jesus just pouring. He's just, he's mourning. He's pouring out his heart and incredible. Now, that was from Matthew's perspective. Now we have another account from Luke's perspective. Luke was a doctor. And look at how Luke displayed this. Luke got all his information from interviewing people. And look at what he says in verse 39 of, of Luke chapter 22. And Jesus came out and he went, as is well as his custom, to the Mount of Olives. So he's now recounting the same scene, but he gives some different information. And the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. So similar account. He's asking God, you know, is there's another way to do this? You know, the, the cross, the separation, uh, the, the, the way to stand. This is, this is going to be difficult. He's full of sorrow, but he says, hey, I surrender. I surrender to you. Verse 43, we get some new information in Luke's account. It says, there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him. God sends an angel to Jesus Christ praying in the Garden of Gethsemane to strengthen him in the middle of his prayer session. It says, verse 44, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. So he's strengthened by the angel, and now in agony, he prays even more. He, he, he doubles down on prayer, and he digs in on prayer, and he stands firm on prayer, and he just begins praying even more. And sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. He is in so much pain. He is in so much sorrow. He's in so much agony. He's mourning the, the, this, this task he has to go to the cross and bear the weight of sin. He's mourning it to such a degree that he is literally sweating blood. Jesus is mourning sin. He's mourning sin that leads to spiritual death. And we see right here as he's experiencing this pain, we see that he's divine because he understands that sin separates from the Father. And as he's heading towards the cross, he realizes he's going to bear the sin of the world. And he's mourning. He's mourning that moment. Because he's divine. And he knows what it is to be united with the Father. And he's, he's in a lot of pain. It's this incredible, incredible picture 
of Jesus, the Son of God, mourning over sin that leads to spiritual death. And there's comfort. Now remember, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And the comfort we find for physical death, remember, that's the glory of God. But the comfort for spiritual death, it's the grace of God. Comfort for spiritual death is the grace of God. The grace of God is the power of God to save us. We see this in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. God has redeemed us, and he's redeemed us through his blood, the blood of Jesus Christ. It is the grace of God, the riches of the grace of God that are providing forgiveness to us. And so Jesus in this account, as he prays in the garden, he's mourning sin that leads to spiritual death. But the comfort for that mourning is the grace of God. And Jesus going to the cross and bearing that sin is how the grace of God now comes to you and me. It's incredible. You know, the grace of God comforts us when we mourn because of sin. And the grace of God is God's power on display, his power over spiritual death as the grace of God invites you and invites me into life with Jesus Christ. So we have these two accounts of Jesus mourning. We have the account of him mourning physical death and the comfort for physical death is the glory of God, seeing the glory of God on display. And we see Jesus mourning spiritual death and the comfort for spiritual death is the grace of God, the grace of God on display, rescuing you and rescuing me. Now, it's with great sadness that I share this next part because it's really sad to me that some, they desire comfort. They desire to be comforted, but they're unwilling to first acknowledge the glory of God. It really breaks my heart that there are people who are desiring to be comforted in their mourning, but they're unwilling to acknowledge the glory of God. And because they're unwilling to acknowledge the glory of God, they're not receiving the comfort that they need because God wants them to acknowledge him. Many desire comfort, but they're unwilling to, to accept the grace of God. They're, they're unwilling to accept the grace of God that God has for them. They are mourning and they need comfort, but they're unwilling to accept the grace of God. Every person deals with physical death and we need the glory of God to comfort us. And every person deals with spiritual death and we need the grace of God to comfort us. And it breaks my heart that there's so many people who desire comfort, but they're unwilling to acknowledge the glory of God and accept the grace of God. God has the comfort, he's got the power to comfort you in your mourning. We live in a world that says, you got this. That needs to change. It needs to change from you got this to God's got this because God's the one who has the comfort. God's the one who has the power to comfort you in your place of mourning. Whether you're mourning over physical death or you're mourning over spiritual death, both are a result of sin. And God has the power to comfort you. You know, I'm reminded of an incredible ministry 
at Big Valley Grace Community Church called Celebrate Recovery. And in Celebrate Recovery, there's, there's 12 steps. And step number two is we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. This idea that there's a power greater than ourselves. It's the idea of being poor in spirit. We recognize we're poor in spirit. There's a power greater than ourselves that can re- restore us to sanity. You know, it's, it's like God calling Lazarus. Lazarus, come out. And God's calling us, come out. Come out of that place of sin. Come out of that place of death. Philippians 2.13 says, For it's God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It's like God saying, unbind him and let him go. Unbind him and let him go. Let him be released from the bondage. God wants you to be released from bondage. Celebrate Recovery has eight biblical principles, and the eight biblical principles are the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are the eight biblical principles that Celebrate Recovery is based on. And in Celebrate Recovery, there's biblical principle number two, and I want to share it with you. It's that we would earnestly believe that God exists, that I matter to him, and that he has the power to help me recover. It's us surrendering to God and saying, God, not my will, not what I want, but your will what you want. It's echoing the prayer that Jesus prayed and saying, God, we want you to have your way in our life. And that's based on beatitude number two, Matthew chapter five, verse four. And that is, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. And the comfort that's gonna come to you is gonna be according to the riches of the grace of God. Let's pray together. Father God, Lord, May we be comforted by your glory and may we be comforted by your grace. Lord, we recognize that grace transforms our lives. Grace has transformed us from being residents of earth to be citizens of heaven. And so, Lord, we submit to you. We submit to your glory. We submit to your grace. And we say, God, have your way. We want to receive the comfort that you have for us. And so we submit to you. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's family said, amen.